0: Well, good morning, church. It is such a blessing to have this opportunity to not only be with you, but especially to share God's word with you. I got one word. Storms. The word alone arrests our attention and can strike terror into our hearts. Even the definition is quite terrifying a violent disturbance of the atmosphere with strong winds and usually thunder and rain or snow. Some of you went through a storm in order to be here this morning. Hmm. But what about others? Have you ever been in the midst of a physical storm? I mean a real storm, you know, not, not what this area considers to be a storm. You know, <laughs> a little bit of an overreaction, but, you know. But if you've ever been in a storm like a real storm. You'll never forget it. I recall over 10 years ago, uh, traveling with my family to Arizona for a wedding, and it was during the fall, so it was really a beautiful time of year. The temperature was just right. And wanting to take advantage of the time that we were out there, my wife uh, planned a day trip to the Grand Canyon. And the day that we decided to travel there, there were warnings of a potential tornado and hailstorm on the way. We listened to various uh, weather reports and warnings, and we heard that it would be a brief storm, so we thought we could probably manage it. Well, we were met with hailstones as big as golf balls, torrential rain and winds that were so powerful that our, our vehicle felt like it was literally being lifted off the ground. It was one of the most frightening experiences we've ever had. Which brings me to the question. What is it about storms that we have this common response of absolute fright? Maybe it's the lightning, the clap of the thunder, or the darkness, or is it that we just feel helpless? Well, regardless of what frightens us about storms, I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's inerrant word to Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, where we will examine, by God's grace, how our faith in Jesus Christ can bring us through even the most terrifying of storms. Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 41. And I'm reading from the NASB. And the scripture reads as follows. And on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go to the let us go over to the other side. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them just as he was in the boat and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind and the wind and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush. Be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Amen. Amen. So, loved ones, in Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 41, we will observe three imperatives to follow when you are suddenly facing the storms of life. Three imperatives to follow when you are suddenly facing the storms of life. Imperative number one, you must trust in Jesus in whatever he said. And that's verse 35. Imperative number two, you must take Jesus wherever you go. That's verse 36. Imperative number three, you must call on Jesus wherever you are. That's verse 38. So now before we dive in, I just want to make sure that you get a little context to help you understand where we're about to go. John Mark is the human author of this book, and most commentaries, theologians and church fathers agree that he had spent a considerable amount of time with Peter in Rome and accurately recorded Peter's preaching of Christ. It is the shortest of the Gospels because Mark is giving you events play by play. And he's moving rather quickly through this uh, through these accounts. And it's because he wants his readers to know that Jesus is truly God and truly man. And there is no one like him. In chapters one and one through two, Mark proves this by capturing events that demonstrate the Lord's power and authority through his teaching, through exercising demons healing all kinds of sickness, forgiving sin, and calling men to follow him. In chapter 3, Mark points to another example of the Lord's power. Jesus healed a man who had a withered hand in the synagogue. And rather than being amazed by this miracle, the Pharisees teamed up with supporters of King Herod in order to plot to kill Jesus. It's not the right response. But the Lord knew what they were up to. And he decided to withdraw from the synagogue and take his disciples out to the Sea of Galilee. Now, at this point in Jesus's ministry, the word about what he had done and who he is was spreading like wildfire. Everyone in the entire region was hearing about Jesus. And it seemed like everyone was going to follow Jesus. And it was such a large crowd. That Jesus even instructed his disciples to get a boat ready for him so that he could teach all of the people without being crushed. And I just want to quickly um, go to the beginning of the chapter, chapter four, and it says, and he began to teach again by the sea. So here Christ took a little bit of a break. He was trying to get something to eat with his disciples because the crowd, I mean, he was teaching all day and the Lord needed a little bite to eat. But then he said it was time to go back out to the sea and teach again. OK, and so now let's go back to our text. Mark, chapter four, verse thirty five. And it says, and on that day. So what day is Mark referring to? Well, again, as I mentioned, it was a day that the Lord was teaching in the beginning of the chapter in Mark, chapter four. We heard that the te- that the Lord Jesus is teaching parables and he's teaching all these different parables and he's just out there on the boat while the people are on the shore and he's teaching them all day, all day. And this was probably a boat that belonged to either Peter or or Andrew or the sons of thunder as they were experienced fishermen. So the Lord is now in the boat and he's teaching the masses of people and he's just going through all these different variables and The scripture only records, obviously, a handful of the parables, but he was probably teaching more than what we have access to. And then it says that the Lord was teaching all throughout the day, even until the evening time. And the Greek word for evening indicates that this could be anywhere from 6 p.m. until the beginning of night. Now, let's go to point number one. You must trust in whatever Jesus has said. Now, in our verse. It says, and on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go to the other side. Now, notice that Jesus said, let us go to the other side. Let us go to the other side. He didn't say you guys go on ahead to the other side. He didn't even say I will go on to the other side and maybe you guys can get over there. No, the Lord said, let us. Go to the other side. Meaning we're going to get to the other side. Are you hearing me, church? If Jesus said something, what should you do? You trust in what he says. You trust in what he says. Exactly. Because Numbers twenty-three nineteen says God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. And so if Jesus said something, you need to believe it. You need to trust in it. Every time Jesus spoke, it was the truth because he is the truth. And in case you forget, John fourteen six is a great reminder. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father but through me. Now, loved ones, are you listening to what Jesus said? Because we're in a day and age where there are so many competing voices for our ears. And they're talking to us about a whole lot of nothing. The media says this. The political leader says that. This athlete says this. This rapper says that. This podcast says this. Blah, blah, blah. And if you're listening to more of what the world said rather than what Jesus said, you're not going to be ready for the storms. Stop giving so much attention to what won't last. And listen to the words of eternal life, because that's what's going to help us get through the storms. Trust in what Jesus said. So that should have been a hint for the disciples. But it's a hint for us. And so verse 36, it says, and leaving the multitude. Okay, so the Lord had determined that it was enough teaching for the day and he instructed disciples that it was time to literally send away the crowd. The Lord was tired and he wanted to retire to be with his disciples. He wanted to head over to the other side of Galilee so he could have some alone time with them, for he had just recently summoned them to himself. And so now we are at the second point of our outline. You must take Jesus wherever you go. And so it says, and leaving the multitude, they took him along with them. Praise God. Now, the word for to take in Greek means to take to or to take with oneself or to join with oneself. And this is similar to Matthew chapter two, verse 13, when G- when Joseph was instructed by the angel of the Lord to get up and to take the child, Mary and excuse me, to take the child and Mary to Egypt. Or it's also like in Mark chapter nine, verse two, when the Lord took Peter, and James and John with him. On the Mount of Transfiguration. And so just as you would take someone with you to be with you, the disciples took Jesus along with them. They prioritized taking Jesus. They could have taken anyone else with them. There was a whole bunch of people out there that day. They could have taken their family with them. They could have taken their friends with them. But no, they took Jesus with them. And I just want to ask you, loved ones, are you taking Jesus with you wherever you go? We live in a world, sometimes you're driving and you see people, they're taking things with them that thinks that's going to help them get through the storm. You sometimes see that they have their God on the dashboard or maybe it's hanging from their mirror. But that's not the God of the scriptures. And that's not going to help them get through the storm. But if you are in Christ, you have Jesus Christ with you and you take him everywhere you go. Because that's what we do, loved ones. And now it says. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them just as he was in the boat. So the Lord had stayed in the boat all day. He was teaching all day. And the disciples After instructing the crowd to leave, they said, we're just going to leave right now. It's time to get over. The master wants to head over to the other side. And other boats were with them, actually, because they wanted to get to the other side with Jesus as well. But now we come to verse 37. And there arose a fierce gale of wind. Now, other translations such as the NIV call this a furious squall. King James Version has it as a great storm of wind. And in Greek, the word for fierce is megas. And these types of fierce winds or storms or hurricanes are actually quite common for the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Lake of Lake Galilee. And according to the Kaufman commentaries on the Bible, this beautiful lake was surrounded by at least a dozen towns in the time of Christ and was the most densely populated area of Palestine. It is 13 miles long, 6 miles wide, pier-shaped, and the surface lies 700 700 feet below sea level. Steep mountains rise along the western and eastern shores. It's fed by the Jordan River, which enters at the north end and exits at the south end, where it resumes its course to the Dead Sea. Now, due to its depression below sea level and the bordering mountains, it is subject to very severe and sudden storms, end of the quote. So now, you know, this area was typical for having storms. And unfortunately, the, the disciples did not have a Doppler radio, uh, radar system. There were no satellites. There was no weather channel to help them to warn them that they were about to get into a storm. And isn't life just like this scene? I asked you earlier if you had been through a physical storm. And some of you out here would much rather go through a physical storm than the storm that you're in right now. Is your marriage currently in a mega storm? Or what about your job? Did your company go through some sort of reorg or restructure? Whatever the company calls it, you call it a storm. What about your health? What about your loved one's health? It was supposed to just be a routine doctor's visit. Then the doctor comes in and tells you the diagnosis and all you heard was storm. No one likes storms. Not unless you're one of those weird like storm chasers. You know, those people are a little off. (laughs) I'm sorry. We have any storm chasers in here. Please forgive me. I love you. Even the storm chasers. All right. But we don't like storms. Let's be honest. We don't like getting that call. Something happens in our stomach when we get that call. And it's because we don't like being out of control. We like to think that we're in control. And storms teach us, you're not in control. The world wants to be the captain of their own ship. They want to chart out their own path and their own destiny. And sometimes we can foolishly think like that as well thinking that we're the captain of our ship. And a storm teaches us you're in, you're in control of nothing. What can you rely on in the storm? Can you rely on your profession to get you through this storm? These were seasoned fishermen. They've traveled the waters. They've been through some storms before, but not like this one. Not like this one. This storm was unlike any other storm. And they knew it. I mean, the scripture says, verse 37, the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. This is quick. This this storm just suddenly descended upon them. They were not prepared. The water was calm when they first went out. But it got. It got to be a mega storm quickly. They're trained fishermen. If they saw the storm before, they would have said, Lord, let's hold out a little bit before we head over to the other side. But no, they thought it was going to be safe passage. They thought it was going to be smooth sailing. And then the storm hit them. Back to our text. Verse 38. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. (laughs) So where is Jesus? He's in the stern. He's in the back of the boat. And here we see a picture of the humanity of Christ. We learn in John chapter 11, verse 35, that Jesus wept. And here we see Jesus slept. The Lord did things like you and I normally do. He ate. He drank, he wept, he slept. He was truly God, but he was also truly man. And I can't help but think about another person. But before I get there, you know, the Lord, I just want you to take note of the fact that the Lord was tired. Okay, for some of you who are teaching our growing disciples class. Right. If you're teaching all day, I know Pastor Gabe, when he's doing those counseling classes, he's teaching all day. It is tiring. You get home and you're spent. Right. I never forget a few times um, Pastor Leak would invite the men's ministry over to his house after uh, after he had preached, after he had taught all day. And we'd be sitting down watching the game and we look over at him to say, hey, Pastor Leak, you saw that play? <laughs> he's gone. <I> said, <laughs> I ain't sheep. What are you doing, man? Wake up. We're watching the game. He's done. He's tired. And the the Lord is no different. He's spent. And I can't help but think about another person in, in the Bible that slept during a storm. I think about my man, Jonah. You all know the story of Jonah, right? God told him to arise and go to Nineveh. Jonah said, I got better plans. I'm the captain of my own ship. I'm going to Tarshish. OK, Jonah, you go ahead. Mm-hmm. And so he goes in, headed in an opposite direction. He's he's thinking it's going to be smooth sailing. So he goes and he takes a little nap. Meanwhile, here's a storm raging. Like that movie, The Perfect Storm. I mean, the storm, I mean, the winds and the waves, it is beating against that boat. And so much so that these mariners, these trained mariners, they recognize that this storm was beyond them. They're scrambling. And they're calling on their gods. And it's not helping them. And we get to verse six where the captain goes to Jonah and he says, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They were desperate. And their God was not answering them because their God was not the true and living God. But Jonah served the true and living God. And there's a difference between Jesus and Jonah. Jonah was being disobedient, and that's why the Lord sent that storm. But this is Jesus, the sinless son of God incarnate. Not to mention the disciples. What did they do to be in this storm? They were just trying to follow Jesus. And yet God allowed them to be in this storm. They didn't ask to be in this storm. And you see, loved ones, sometimes we can be guilty of unbiblical thinking like that. That just because we're following Jesus, that means we will never be in a storm. Have you ever thought that? I know I have. I know when I was young in the faith, I used to think, oh, all I got to do is follow Jesus and everything will be all right. And then I started seeing more storms (laughs) and I said, what is this? I thought it was going to be smooth sailing. I thought, you know. It would just be a cruise control. No. Here came the storms. They were coming. I praise God that he did not allow me to continue to think wrongly like that. And that's why my heart breaks when I hear sermons on TV or on the radio that teach nonsense like that. That you are too blessed to be stressed. That God is going to, you know, God is going to keep you from the storm. Sometimes he does. But sometimes he allows you to go into the storm. Please, loved ones, don't believe that nonsense that just because you're following Jesus, everything is going to be all right. Listen to this quote from Pastor Steve Lawson. He says, Following Christ does not mean the subtraction of all trials, but the addition of his strength to go through them triumphantly. Loved ones, when we are suddenly faced with a storm, we need to hold on to the truth of Scripture that provides the clarity and accuracy for us to see who God is when we are in a storm. We need to understand that Scripture teaches that God is sovereign. And he allows the storm, but he has a purpose for the storms. And you know how I could confidently say that? Because scripture informs my thinking. Scripture teaches me in Lamentations chapter 3, verse 32 to 33, that if if he causes grief, then he will have compassion in in proportion to his abundant mercy. For he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of mankind. God is not some sort of cosmic bully that finds joy in watching his creation go through storms. You need to know that. You need to trust in the word of God and what the scriptures teach us. Furthermore, what other God do you know gets in the storm with you? What other God that you know is in the furnace with you? Like he was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3. What other God do you know is with you in the valley? The shadow of death. Like the psalmist in Psalm 23. What other God you know makes promises that he will not leave you nor forsake you? Like Hebrews 13.5 teaches. Only the God of the scriptures. And that's what we need to hold on to. And the scriptures tell us that he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? See, sometimes when we're in a storm, we can say some stupid things. Right? Let's be honest. God, don't you care about what I'm going through right now? Where are you? And sometimes life feels like you're in that boat and you're looking for God to help you. But he's asleep. Loved ones, Jesus was asleep here in his humanity, but God never sleeps. He never slumbers. You must understand that because scripture instructs us in that. okay. And by the way, God can handle your questions. He can can handle even your toughest questions. But make sure that you are prepared for his responses. You all know the story of Job. Job had some questions because he thought that he was a righteous man and that What's going on right now? Why am I going through this? And the Lord had a response for him. He had more than a couple of responses for him. And I can't help but think of Job 40 verse one. And the Lord said to Job, will the fault finder contend with the almighty? Let him who rebukes God give an answer. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am insignificant. What can I say in response to what can I say in response to you? I put my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not reply or twice. And I will add nothing more. Too late, Job. God is going to answer you. Then the, Lord, then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind and said, now tighten up. Excuse me. Now tighten the belt on your waist like a man. I will ask you. And you instruct me. Will you really nullify my judgment? Will you condemn me so that you may be justified? Or do you have an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? God can handle our questions, but can you handle his response? So we are now at the third point in our outline. You must call on Jesus wherever you are. You must call on Jesus wherever you are. So the disciples, they realize that this storm is beyond them. And they realize that they are in the midst of the storm. And they call on the Lord Jesus Christ. They say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And in Matthew chapter 8, verse 25, it says, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And in Luke 8, 24, it says they came up to Jesus and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. So the reason that we see these different titles being thrown around is because they called on all three. They recognized we are in a storm and we need help. And they wanted to make it abundantly clear to the Lord that they needed his help. In their mind, this is not a time to be calm. This is not a time to be distinguished and say, excuse me, Lord Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but we are in the midst of a storm. No, sir. No time for this. This is a storm. It's gotten my attention. I'm calling on Jesus. Who do you call on when you're in the midst of the storm, loved ones? Who are you calling? I love how the scriptures are just so authentic because it's really just exposing the disciples. And sometimes we can get a little bit big headed and we could say, oh, look at these disciples acting irrational. What's the matter with them? Don't they see that the Lord is in the boat with them? Before you come down too hard on them. Remember. The Holy Spirit did not indwell them at this point yet. Remember, they didn't have the completed scriptures like we do. And so show them some grace. But I want to ask you, how do you respond when you are in the midst of the storm? Because we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us for those of us who are in Christ. We have his completed word. And yet we can behave just like them, asking some stupid questions. Want to know where is Jesus? Call on him, loved ones. Hmm. Who are you calling on in the midst of the storm? Because God wants you to go through that storm. Because he wants you to call on him. You know, you call on family. Sometimes you're not able to find family. You call on your friends who were maybe with you in the past, but in this particular storm, you can't find them. Stop wasting time. Call on Jesus. Call on Jesus. Verse 39. And being aroused. He rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. What a mighty God we serve. Now the disciples (laughs) with their question, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? The Lord could have rebuked them, but instead he rebuked the winds and the waves. What a mighty God. And the scripture says, and the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. You know how the wind and the sea literally became perfectly calm? Psalm 65, 7 tells us who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves and the turmoil of the nations. Listen to Psalm 104, verse 7. He established the earth upon its foundations so that it will not totter forever and ever. You covered it with the deep sea as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. They fled from your rebuke. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. Back to Job 38 verse 11. Or who enclosed the sea with doors when it went out from the womb, bursting forth? When I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling bands, and I placed boundaries on it, And set a bolt in doors and I said as far as this point you shall come but no farther. And here your proud waves shall stop. You know how the winds and the waves stopped immediately because they heard God speak. They heard that same voice that spoke let there be light. Right. They heard that voice and they had no choice but to obey The winds and the waves obeyed. And loved ones, are you letting God speak to you in the storm? Are you trusting in what he said? Are you taking his word wherever you go? Because it's so important because that's what's going to get you through the storm. That's what's going to get you through the storm. And now picking up at verse 40. After the Lord calmed the storm. He now turns to them. And he said to them, why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? So now Jesus is asking the question. And in the ESV translation, it says, have you still no faith? It's like the Lord was saying to them, Fellas, where have you been? Did you not see me exercising demons back there? Don't you remember I healed Peter's mother-in-law when she had that fever? Don't you remember I healed that leper? I forgave the sin of the paralytic. I caused him to walk. I mean, etc., etc., etc. The Lord has given them enough examples. And yet you still have no faith? You still don't believe? Let's look at their response. Verse 31. And they became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? That's the purpose of the storm. Take your eyes off yourself. Take your eyes off whatever it is you thought was going to get you through that storm. You need to look upon Jesus. They needed to understand what manner of man is this. And that's what we need to understand, loved ones, because right now we are in the midst of a storm. You weren't planning for this pandemic over a year ago. But it happened. God allowed it. So that you would take your eyes off whatever it is that was competing for his love and affection in your heart. And he wanted you to love him with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength. And he is worthy. They needed to know that this man in the boat with them is unlike any other man. This is the God man. This is the lamb of God. this is the Alpha the Omega this is the bread of life this is the door this is the Messiah and we need him we need to see who he is for who he is Not for who we want him to be, but for who the scriptures tell us who he is. And the disciples needed to see that. God's goal is to conform us to the likeness of Christ. And he uses storms to accomplish that. And we can trust him in the storm because God is good and everything that he does is good. And scripture teaches us that. And so I don't know what personal storm you may be going through. I know some of the storms that that some of you are going through. We see the requests coming through on Hope Book. And it hurts sometimes when you see people that you love, go through storms. If it doesn't hurt, check your heart. It should hurt. Because when they mourn, you should mourn. When they rejoice, you should rejoice. We are family in Christ. And when one of our brothers or sisters is going through a storm, you're going through the storm with them. alongside them. Call on the Lord Jesus Christ for them. They might be in the storm so hard that they are, they, they might be confused. Intercede on their behalf. That's why prayer is so important. Because we're praying to the God who's over the storm. He controls the storms. And in his infinite knowledge and wisdom, he determines how long the storm is going to be. Not us. Stop trying to take control of the storm. Run to the God who is over the storm. Trust in him. Trust in his word. Trust in whatever Jesus said. Take him wherever you go. and Call on him wherever you are in the storm. And watch our God work. And praise him and however he sees fit to respond to the storm. Now, if you're sitting here today. Or if you're watching online and you have not submitted to Jesus as Lord and as Savior. Would you please hear me for just a few moments? We all agree and we all know that life is hard. We don't like curveballs. We don't like storms. But it's a reality of life. And oftentimes people ask questions. Why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? But the real question that should be asked is, why does God allow good things to happen to bad people? Because the Bible teaches that we are not good. Romans 310 through 12 there is none righteous, not even one. there is none who understands. there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. You see, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God's one and only command. As a result of their disobedience, we all fell with them that day and were ushered into this world of sin, suffering and death. And you must understand. That God is perfectly holy, he is so holy, scripture teaches us that he is holy, holy, holy holy and he requires that we be perfect for he is perfect Matthew 5:48 but we are not perfect because of the sin of our first parents and if that's not enough Romans 3:23 teaches us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God we all have sinned And God being perfectly holy and perfectly just, he could have taken all of creation and just thrown us into the flames. But that's not what he did. He sends his one and only son, his only begotten son, his son in whom he is well pleased. And the Lord Jesus Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin and he entered into this world as a babe. and He grew up as a child. And he lived life. He entered into life as we know it. He entered into our storm. What God does that. And Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you and I were required to live, but we failed. And because he perfectly kept the commandments and because he perfectly lived life, he was able to be a perfect sacrifice. Only he could go to the cross and endure the storm. He took upon the wrath of his father. So much so that he cried out. He asked the question, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But Jesus Christ was forsaken. So that all those who believe in him, all those who trust in his death, burial and resurrection could be forgiven. Eternally forgiven. And I just want to plead with you this day. If you have not surrendered unto Jesus Christ as your Lord and your savior. Now is the day. Now is the time. Please stop hardening your heart. Listen to the voice that is calling unto you. To repent. Stop trusting in your idols. Stop trusting in your self-righteousness. Stop trusting in whatever it is other than Jesus Christ. Turn away from those things and run to him. Trust in what he has said. God desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He does not take any pleasure in the death of the wicked. But you must come to him on his terms. You must submit to him on his terms. Now, the disciples, they were terrified by that storm. But you know what terrified them more? The fact that God was in the boat with them. They were awestruck. And Scripture teaches it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Life is hard, but it is not more difficult than spending an eternity in torment. That is beyond human comprehension. not a place for fun, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Christ spent more time warning people about hell than telling them the wonders of heaven. And it's because he wanted them to repent So often we can get caught up in world events. We can get caught up in political storms. We can get caught up in world storms. Right. Like in Luke 13, where they're like, you know, the news is being spread around town. You heard what happened to the those people with the Tower of Siloam fell on them. You heard what what Pilate did to those people in the temple. Whoa, whoa, what's going on? And what did Jesus do? Repent. Otherwise, you will likewise perish. Please, if you are listening to the sound of my voice and you have not trusted in Christ, I beg you, turn to him today. You don't know what life holds for you. You can't predict the storms. But today can be the day that you can turn to the one who is in the storm. And who can calm the storm. But you need to turn to him. And he will not reject you. His arms are open wide as it was on the cross. And he invites all those to come unto him. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You can rest in the storm when you're with Christ. When you take when you trust in whatever Jesus has said, you can rest in the storm. When you take Jesus wherever you go, you can be calm in the storm. And when you call on Jesus. Wherever you are. You can be calm in the storm. Would you do that today? If you're here today physically and you want to know about this God who calms storms, I would love to talk to you about that. Let's go to the Lord. Our father and our God. We thank you and we praise you. You are the Lord most high. There is none like you. If we were to search the heavens and the earth, we would still declare that there is none like you. Thank you for sending your only begotten son, full of grace and truth. We were able to look upon him and not be consumed. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving heaven and entering into this world and enduring storms. Thank you for your death, burial, and resurrection. And now we are reconciled unto you. Thank you for that gift of eternal life. And God, I just pray that you would please minister to my brothers and sisters in Christ who may be going through a storm right now. Help them to see that you are in the storm with them. And Lord, for those who have yet to bow their knee and surrender their hearts. Lord, remove the scales from their eyes. Grant them a heart of flesh. That they would see you for who you are, the true and living God. And that they would turn from their sin and trust in you. For you are worthy of all the honor, the glory, and the praise. And we ask all of this by faith in Christ's precious name. Amen.